This podcast is brought to you by Karen Wickray, the author of a new book entitled Taking the Work Out of Networking. Please join Karen and Greg on podcast number 781 as they discuss how networking can what often seems like a dreaded task can become an organic and easy endeavor. Karen shares some of her tips on no pressure networking along with the benefits of loose touch connecting. If you've ever thought of networking as drudgery, then you won't want to miss this podcast number 781 with author, author Karen Wickray. You can learn more about Karen and taking the work out of networking by visiting her website at www.karenwickray, that's K-A-R-E-N-W-I-C-K-R-E.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this podcast. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal uh, Growth. And Gay uh, has been Gay Hendricks, who is the author of a brand new book called Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. And this is Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. Good day to you, Gay. How are you doing up there in Ohio? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you down there? It's wonderful. It's a beautiful morning. It's going to be warm, and I'm looking forward to it. And in the middle of this pandemic, um, we're very blessed, you and I, and also the state of California. So good on us for doing what we're doing, and I'm sure that your book here will get into this as we move along. But Gay was on our show uh, many years ago. Um, he has written many books, and many of them are The Big Leap was probably one of the bigger sellers that you had. Is it not true, Gay? Yes. Uh, Conscious Loving and The Big Leap were our two big bestsellers uh, of the recent years. Yes, definitely. But Gay is nobody new to publishing. He's been um, a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and mind-body therapies for more than 45 years. After he earned his PhD in counseling and psychology from Stanford, Gay served as a professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years, then went on to found the Gay, the Hendricks Institute, which offers seminars in North America, Asia, and Europe. Throughout his career, he has coached more than 800 executives, including top management at firms such as Dell, Hewlett Packard, Molarono, and KLM. And as we said, he's written more than 40 books, and we talked about a few of them. Uh, he offers seminars worldwide and has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and others. So um, and you can find out more about the book that we're talking about at Conscious Luck. C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-U-C-A-C-O-T.com. You can also find out more about the Hendricks Institute at just Hendricks, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And we will have links to those in our uh, blog. And just for you that who are listening up front here, if you order the book off of ConsciousLuck.com, there's a special offer to download the free Conscious Luck Self-Assessment tools and focus guide. So it'd be a good place to get the book. If you're going to go to Amazon, you're just going to get the book. But if you go to 
consciousluck.com, you'll actually get more than the book. So, Gay, this book, I, you know, I get a lot of books in here. First off, I want to thank you for the way that it's written. Um, and that's what I want to talk about here. This book's evolved and it had a very interesting trajectory between you and how you interfaced with Carol and you went back and forth. And there's a whole backstory behind the book and how intent you were on completing it. Would you tell our listeners just literally how long this book has been in the making and why <laughs> you were so intent on finally getting it completed? Yes. Well, uh, actually, I started thinking about this when I was 14 years old. I had an experience uh, that I'll tell you about uh, of, of seeing somebody do conscious luck right in front of my eyes. Uh, I was sitting next to a kid at a movie theater that I, he, I knew him a little bit, but I didn't know him well. And they were having a drawing for a wristwatch. And they had maybe 250 tickets in this goldfish bowl, and they had somebody drew it out. But before they had the drawing, this kid said to me, watch, I'm going to win. And they were drawing three prizes, and the top of them was a wristwatch. And so he ended up winning the first prize. And when he came back to his seat with the watch, I said, how did you do that? And he said, well, I just made up my mind one day many years ago when I was a little kid. He said, I, I saw that there were some people lucky and some people not lucky. So I just decided to be one of the lucky ones. And that just blew my mind at the time. And I started thinking about that. But it took me another 50 years to write the book. And so uh, especially over the last 10 years since the big leap came out, it's been on my mind pretty much consciously, and I kept bumping into Carol down at the farmer's market, and uh, I'd kind of written the first half of it with the main ideas in it, but I hadn't gotten to the part where we do the exercises and things like that, and that happens to be what Carol's really good at, and so I struck up a conversation with her one day, and she ended up uh, taking over the manuscript, and we bounced it back and forth for a year, and here it is, so I'm really glad to finally, uh, after 50-some years, have it out into the world. Well, I love that story about your friend at the movie theater, and uh, that was actually going to be one of my questions, but I'm glad you got that out right away, because if it started way back then, I'll tell you, the seeds of conscious luck go back a long way. And, you know, you cite William James, the father of American psychology, as saying, the greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can later in his life by altering his attitudes of mind. And you state that luck is an overlooked factor. Um, what is it about luck that can be altered? And how do we go about doing that? I think most people think, Gay, that luck is just luck. When they think of the word, they go, hmm, you know what? I was lucky today. You know, I won the watch. Uh, but they're not consciously going at creating luck in their life. What is it that we can do to alter that? The very first thing we talk about in the book, we talk about willingness and commitment, because the first thing you have to do is just be willing to consider that you could change your luck. And so a lot of people aren't willing to consider new ideas, but you know, your listeners are probably people that are really willing to consider ideas, so it won't be as much of a stretch for them. But just beginning to think, hmm, would I be willing to be luckier today than I was yesterday? And would I be willing to be luckier tomorrow than I am today? Just to kind of get that up on your radar screen and your mind to begin to think about 
changing your luck for the better. Because most of us, I mean, it, it boils down to really some very simple things, what luck is. And one thing luck is, is being in the right place at the right time for the ideal thing to happen for you. And so there have been so many instances. I tell a lot of stories in the book, and so does Carol, about times we've, where we've been in the right place at the right time just for a moment. Uh, Carol calls it her 20 seconds of insane courage that kind of launched her on her career. And I talk about many 10-second conversations. I call them 10-second miracles that happened where some little thing happened in a moment. But if you think about that, you know, people like Eckhart have written books like The Power of Now, and my friend Neil Donald Walsh has been writing books for many years, Conversations with God books about finding that place within you that's the, the same, that's on the same wavelength as the rest of the universe, that's hooked into the creative power of the universe, that sense of being right here, right now, in the right place at the right time. Well, I think they're talking about the very same thing that I am, because if you think about it, you could, with one tiny thought, change your entire fortune by simply acknowledging that, yes, I am in the right place at the right time right now. Because so many people go around kind of frantically worried in their minds that they're not doing things right, that they're they're on the wrong track, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of wind themselves up in a grip of anxiety. But if you realize that you're always in the right place at the right time for the perfect thing to happen, if you can just make that one little mind shift, that can go a long way toward helping in, invite other people into you as an attractor field for luck. Well, and I think that comes down to awareness. And that's something that you're trying to do is let people know that as long as you can elevate your awareness about luck, because it one of the first things that changes anything in anybody is not this is just by happenstance, but if I can create awareness that this is that something consciously I can create in my life. And the focus of the book really are these eight secrets that will allow the listeners to change their luck. And if you would briefly, I think it would be good to go through the eight secrets to intentionally change it. Um, we can get into them, you know, deeper in this interview, but there are eight things that you've identified and Carol have identified that are really going to change um, how lucky we are. So I thought we'd go through those. Yes. Well, I touched on uh, one or two of them, the idea of willingness and commitment. But let's start uh, with a more formal moment of that, because wherever you are, wherever your listeners are at this moment, they can do something this very moment that will actually shift things for you in a more lucky direction. So think of the concept of commitment for a moment and think of making a commitment. Just consider it for a moment. The commitment is I commit to being luckier today than I was yesterday. And I commit to being mm -hmm. luckier tomorrow than I was today. So just a simple shift of that. Find out if you can say that in your mind and feel good about it. In other words, does that resonate with you? So that's a good starting place. So 
we always re- release that- your person. Yeah, yeah. The, I I think that's you're setting the intention and you're giving yes. a commitment, and then and then you say the second one is to release your personal barriers to good fortune. We have yes. all kinds of barriers, psychological barriers that we've been carrying for years. It's not just as easy to release it. We'll get into more questions about it, but that is one of the things that's like blocks good fortune, right? Is some of this stuff we've been carrying around our barriers, yes. right? That's right, Greg. Right. And a lot of a lot of people that will read Conscious Luck will read it have read its predecessor, The Big Leap. And the two things that I talk about that are really important from The Big Leap is that we all carry around an upper limit problem inside ourselves. That was the name I gave it for this tendency that when mm. things are going well, often something happens that causes us to sabotage the thing that's been going well and kind of knock ourselves back down to the same level we were at before. And I first started noticing this way back. Uh, I, I was overweight at the time and I was trying to lose some weight and I, I would, my diet would go great for about three days and then I'd do something to sabotage it. I'd binge out on pizza or something and I'd gain the weight back. And so I was always on this yo-yo thing until I finally kind of got it handled. And so I've, I've been in a good weight for many years now, but it was always a struggle for me. But it's the same in relationships, too. My wife and I have been together now 40 years. And in the early days of our relationship, we noticed the upper limit problem a lot around the house. We'd get along great for a few days, and then one of us would pick a fight, or we'd get in an argument, or we'd disagree about something, and then we'd spin out into a couple of weeks of conflict before we got ourselves recentered and back on track again. And so I started to pay attention to this with my clients and ask them to kind of look at the, themselves. And that's the main thing we need to overcome in in that's in this that chapter of the book is spotting our upper limits and finding out what's underneath them. And for most of us, it revolves around things we're scared about, fears that we have that we haven't explored. For many of us, it's mm-hmm. a fear of unworthiness, or maybe it's a fear, you know, like I don't deserve good fortune. Or for others, it's a it's a sense of, um, of uh, not wanting to outshine other people, a fear of outshining, that if I really let myself flourish in life, it would make other people feel bad. And so a lot of us- Or a fear of love. Fear of loss, too. I think in these times, people are really anxious about loss or they're anxious about change, you know? And and I think that, you know, with the COVID-19 and all the fear that's been so abundant around- you know, there's fear and love, right? And you've always been about love. And you've got to replace that emotion uh, because it it contracts you with love. And how would you rewrite the story so that we believe we're lucky? Because so many people out there uh, that, are, that just really, they don't believe they are. And they've written a story and they're living the story of being unlucky. But there's got to be a way to rewrite the story. How would you suggest we rewrite the story? Well, you have to start every story exactly where you are. And like, for example, I tell a story in the book, and this gets into what's in chapter three, Greg, which is your ability to transform shame and other negative shame and other Mm -hmm. emotions 
other negative emotions that you carry around in your body, how to transform those into an attractor field for love. A love and luck and money and abundance and all the other good things of life. So I tell the story in the book of finding this kind of unexpected feeling of shame in my body when I was helping clean out my mother's house with my brother when I was um, after my mother passed away some years ago. And um, I, I don't want to get into all the, the detail, in the, uh, but people can find the whole story in the book. But the main essence of the story is I found a sense of shame in my body that I had realized and I could kind of feel it various places, but a lot down in the, the, my legs. And that really struck me as unusual. Since then, I've had other people say that perhaps because when we got shamed as kids, we also got uh, spanked on our legs or whacked on my, I got whacked a lot on my legs and my bottom when I was a kid. And so maybe that's where I stored that. But, you know, for most of us, we carry around things like uh, fear down in our bellies with those butterflies and we feel a sense of sadness in our chest. But that's where I happened to feel shame was down in the lower part of my body. But what I realized also, I had this whole idea dawn on me that I didn't need to just leave that field planted with shame. I could take that crop out that was planted by something that happened a long time ago, and I could put in, plant a new crop in there. And so I decided to rededicate this field of shame I felt inside me. I decided to rededicate it as an attractor field for luck. And so that then helped me shift my whole mindset to a a body set as well. Because, you know, we are not just our minds and our opinions and our beliefs and our minds, but we're also this rich, deep parfait of feeling in our bodies. We have, you know, we have everything from compassion to rage to fear to exhilaration, all of it captured down in our deep body selves. And so I'd been, a, I'd been living a lot of my life through my head, and that really helped me kind of get down into my body and, and own myself as a whole person rather than just an intellect. Well, one of the things that you do in the book, and I, I think some of our listeners are very aware of this, but you provide advice on tapping. I call it tapping. I think most people do to get rid of the grips of the past. Um, can you tell the listeners about these exercises and why this can help them release these ties to things from the past that might be blocking um, their ability to get to conscious luck? In the book, it's on pages 44 and 45 for the listeners who are listening. But um, I think the technique is fascinating. I have not used it that much myself. Maybe I should. Um, but it, you basically give some exercises in there, right? Yes, and I could even um, give a, a modified version of one that people can just listen to and kind of think about as we're going along now. But there are some really okay. good ones in the book. Uh, that's one thing I love about working with St. Martin's Press, the wonderful publisher that we work with, Joel Fotinos. He has been so great about helping us make the book full of exercises as well as the concepts in it. So we wanted to make it incredibly practical. And so, uh, but just if you think about it right now, think back through time and think about if you do feel any sense of unluckiness, think about 
when that may have been adopted in your life. When did that idea come upon you? And so when we do this in seminars, we have people actually draw a timeline back through time. And a person might stand up with the mic and say, well, I remember this moment when I got, like I'm, uh, a fellow did it recently at a seminar. He said, I got polio when I was seven years old. This was back in the 1950s when polio was really a tremendously feared disease. And he, he spent a couple of years uh, having to be in a iron lung kind of a thing and uh, away from his peers and everything. And he developed this real whole body feeling of being the universe was out to get him. You know, it was he was the unluckiest person in the world. And yet the amazing thing is that even that feeling, that deeply held feeling, that whole field can be rededicated once you become aware of it. Once you say, okay, I feel that. I can see where that feels in my body. So if you tap yourself just where you feel that in your body, like, for example, if you feel your sadness in your chest, just tap your chest for a moment and then say, point back to the past and say, that was then, and then tap yourself and say, this is now. It's a very simple thing to do, just to make a distinction between what's right now and what was back then. And so we have a number of things like that that are very simple things to do as you move through the book that you can use to actually, uh, I always say making that the longest journey in the world is that 12-inch journey from your head down to your heart. And those exercises in the book will help you make that journey from the intellectual ideas in the book down into how you feel them in your body. Yeah, it's really good that way because there are quite a few exercises in the books. Um, and like you said, it's always good to apply something practical as you're reading. You know, in this segment of the book that you, we were just talking about deals with shame, you tell a personal story about manifesting $20 million for your foundation for conscious living. Um it was interesting how you manifested it or you took this flyer on some stock and it turned out to be great. I thought it was a great story and really shows how dealing with our shame can open up the energy pass to abundance and conscious luck. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that story? You call it a conscious luck shame transforming process. Yes. Um, I, um, the million dollar story or the story about uh, finding shame in my body? Well, the tw well no oh. way. Well, you, you had some shame going on and you knew you needed to get rid of it because you were trying to uh, create $20 million for your foundation oh. and you bought a $3 stock that turned into a $100 yeah. stock. And that was a big, uh, it was a big step for you because you didn't know anything about it, but you, you felt lucky. Well, yeah, that, yes, well, I, I started with when I, I found that shame in my body and decided to re, retrain it and rededicate it as an attractor field for luck. And then I had this five minute lucky window where I was coming home from the airport and I decided to stop in. I was kind of rushing home and I had just enough time to get home, um, to, um, make a phone call that I wanted to make from home rather than at my office because um, I wanted to, you know, unload my stuff and everything like that from the airport. But I decided I had five extra minutes. So I decided to whip by my office and see if I had any mail or anything. 
And I unexpectedly found my wife still at the office and she was standing in the center of the room. I can still see it like an image in my mind from yesterday. She was standing in the center of the room having this animated conversation with a young fellow, 27-year-old stockbroker. He had braces on his teeth and he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. And see, I had just moved to California. I just moved from Colorado. And where I lived in Colorado, stockbrokers did not have Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops on. And so, first of all, I had to kind of of get used to that. But he was talking to my wife about buying 10,000 shares of a startup called software.com. And software.com didn't even make a thing. It just made some kind of an algorithm that made email work better, this new thing that was called email at the time. And so uh, what did I know? You know, I I used email, but I didn't know much about it. But anyway, so the stockbroker was talking to Katie about it, and he he happened to be her parents' stockbroker. And uh, But they hadn't wanted to buy this because they thought it was too risky. And so he came and talked to Katie about it. So I just happened to be in the office for five minutes and during the hearing, the end of this tail end of the conversation. And I was frankly skeptical because of the, you know, the fact that the guy is so young and, uh, you know, the flip flops and everything. But Katie seemed very excited about it. And she said she really wanted to do it. And so they kind of turned to me and I said, well, sure. okay, I have some trepidation, but yeah, go ahead if you feel strongly about it. So wind the clock now forward a couple of years. So basically we gave the guy $30,000 for the 10,000 shares of stock. And ultimately it ended up trading at $155 a a stock uh, at the very height of the dot-com boom. And we sold it along the way for somewhere around $100 a share, something like that. And so it turned into a big, 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 big win. Uh, for that five minutes of invested time. But I always use an example of being in the right place at the right time because had I not been there, you know, my wife might have tried to recreate the conversation later on at home, but I might have been more skeptical at the time. And so we had that experience another time too, Greg, and that was that we, um, and it actually contributed more to our foundation than the other one did. Uh, We have a neighbor up the hill named Bill Moses, a very wise, savvy financier kind of person, but he also loves to grow wine and he makes wine and he owns a winery, um, but he's also very into natural beverages. And so he invited us to come up and taste a probiotic beverage called Kavita in his kitchen that a local lady named Chakra Earthsong had brewed up in her kitchen. and. so we went up and we tasted this beverage and it was absolutely delicious. It was a bubbly, you know, low, what do you call it? Low calorie beverage that was uh, just this kombucha. Kind of Sounds like yeah, kombucha. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it's it, the kombucha it, queen. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's very like kombucha, but it, it's not made with mushrooms. And so it has lower alcohol content. Um, and uh-huh. so uh, to make a long story short, we, um, ended up investing in it based on that experience in his kitchen. And then Bill took it on to, turned it into a a multi-million dollar company. And we ended up selling it to Pepsi-Cola for north of $200 million. And so, um, yeah, that moment (laughs) in that kitchen saying yes to that beverage ended up, you know, having a 
generous funding uh, effect on our nonprofit foundation and is continuing to do so. Wow, what a great story. Those are those are wonderful stories. Now, one of the things uh, that you say, Gay, is that that you advise the reader that luck chases worthy goals. Um, so what is luck worthy goals or what are luck worthy goals and how would our listeners best set these kinds of goals? Because look, if we're going to bring this conscious luck upon us, um, we obviously need to be thinking about the goals we have in our life. Yes. I was once, um, listening to the radio and I don't even know who said it It was a motivational speaker that I didn't catch the person's name, but whoever it was, maybe Brian Tracy um, said that all human misery comes from the absence of a worthwhile goal. And so I think that I started paying attention to what are my life goals. And in this new book, what we, what we really, the point we really want to make is Find three or four or five life goals that if you were the luckiest person on earth, those goals would come true for you. And so I always say that human beings have the capacity to accomplish three to five big things in their life. And you can argue with my numbers, but just think about it for a moment. Let's say you want to get a medical degree from Harvard. Well, that takes a lot of work and a long time. So that's what ought to be on your big five. And if you want to create a loving, successful relationship with someone with whom you can grow and change over time, that was one of my big goals when I first set my goals. So get yourself three or four or five really high-quality goals, the kind of goals, like in my book, Five Wishes, I say, Evaluate your goals on this basis. If you were at the end of your life and I came by to visit you on your deathbed and I said, was your life a success? And you said, absolutely, yes. And then I said, well, what was one thing that made it an absolute success? What would the answer to that question be? I started thinking about that some years ago. And I realized, even though at the time I had published books and I you know, had a PhD in counseling psychology from a good university and was thriving and all of that with my professional work, I realized I'd, what I really wanted, I'd never created a lasting love relationship with a woman with whom I could grow and change over the years. And so I made that my number one goal in my life. And sure enough, I managed to manifest that rather quickly 40 years ago and have been thriving ever since in my relationship with Katie. Before that, I had these short-term relationships that I say always had the same trajectory as the Titanic. They would start out with great fanfare <laughs> and champagne, and then they would hit the, hit an iceberg after six months or so. And I, I didn't realize after until I was in my 20s that uh, the iceberg was inside me. It wasn't an external iceberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, those are that is a great way, especially if that's the one thing you know. You say the one big goal was having a loving, compassionate relationship, and you know people go through many relationships, and if that's what they're looking for, whether that or they're looking for some other way to to change the world, whatever that goal is, you're saying three to five of them, and you say that the fifth secret is bold action consistently. 
to create an opportunity for luck to appear in our life and to overcome our fears. How would you recommend to the listeners overcoming the fears in taking some bold action, especially where we are today? I mean, um, right now, there probably couldn't be more fearful people out there and more contraction worried about, well, let's let's really face it, worried about death. And so because of that, they're maybe not living life. Um, any advice? Yes, thank you for bringing that up because it's so relevant to this time and also to the future. That's why so many people are giving conscious luck um, to their kids and grandkids as graduation gifts. You know, it makes a really good virtual graduation present to the idea of empowering yourself by taking on your own luck. Um, but the um, the the thing that we're talking about about taking bold action consistently is that it's like my buddy that wanted to lose 30 pounds. You know, he, he, he hated to diet and he hated to do exercises, but he made this deal with himself that for one week he would do one chin up a day. And then for the second week he would do two chin ups a day. And so he started doing this. And over the course of a year, pretty soon he's doing 50 to 60 chin ups a day. And he's also lost 30 pounds along the way. So it's taking action over a consistent period of time. So we always say that being lucky is not like getting hit by a benign bolt of lightning. What it really is, is realizing that luck is a wind that's constantly blowing. And it's up to us to put our sails up so that we're allowing it to take us at the right speed in the right direction. But the luck is always there. It's just whether we're open to it or not. And one of the biggest things that human beings can do is open up your capacity to receive good things in your life. So many of us are focused on giving, 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 doing, doing, doing. That phase of life is very important. But we also need to realize that we need to take an in-breath at the same time. We just can't breathe out, out, out all the time. We need to take an in-breath and let life in, let love in, let abundance in, open up our capacity for receiving good things. Well, you know, these eight secrets and what I'm going to do for our listeners is we've covered five of them, but I have one parting question. But what I want to do is I want to repeat these for them. And then I want them to go to your website and pick up a copy of the book. Um, so here they are in order. Commit to be a very lucky person. Release your personal barriers to good fortune. Transform shame into a magnet for abundance. Have luck-worthy goals. Take bold action consistently. Find your lucky tribe. Learn to be at the right place at the right time. And the last one, practice radical gratitude and appreciation. Really, really great advice for people about bringing conscious luck into their life. And so, Gay, with that being said, what would you like to leave the listeners with with regarding this new book and probably one of, you know, you can always say, well, which one is my best book? And I would say that based on what I know and what, the time we are in right now that this book is extremely timely and people should pay attention to this. What is it that you'd like to leave them with? 
Well, many people will be familiar with The Big Leap, and that was 10 years ago. And what I've been thinking about ever since is in this new book, Conscious Luck. What I really want to leave everybody with, though, is this idea that you can empower yourself to get luckier. You don't need to leave luck to chance. You can actually empower yourself. And we give eight ways to do that in the book. But the main message is that you're in charge of a lot more of your luck than you realize. And let's take advantage of that. Let's open up our receiver so that we're receiving the good things of life and being in the right place at the right time. Well, as you've said so eloquently throughout the book, you can attract this into your life more favorably, and you're going to resonate at a higher level of consciousness as a result of it not only, not just reading the book, but practicing what Gay and Carol have been talking about in the book. And really, you know, it is about setting those the consistency and commitment and having the goals and bringing that luck into your life. Um, perfect, perfect book for our times we're in. Gay, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. And for all my listeners, go to Conscious Luck, that's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, luck.com to get the book. And you'll get your bonus if you go there. If not, we're going to have a link to Amazon. You can just buy the book through Amazon. Um, and if you want to learn more about Gay and his programs, he has an institute called the Hendricks Institute. Um, there you can learn about the seminars, the workshops. Obviously, I would say probably most of them on hold right now, other than the ones that are being done by webinar. Do you have any that are upcoming, Gay, that I'm looking at your um, your, your schedule here that are going to be webinars for people that you want to let them know about? Yes, well, we're doing, um, we're in the process of making our big summer training into something virtual that people can participate in. So hopefully we'll be back soon to live trainings. But for right now, we're doing a lot of it on uh, video conference. Okay. But so we, you can, if we, if they keep tuning into your website at hendrix.com, they'll learn about what's going on there and uh, definitely get the book and sign up for any newsletters that Gay has. Gay, a pleasure having both of you on, and I should say both of you. It seems like I've had two. Carol wasn't there, but (laughs) (laughs) give my best to Carol. Give my best to Carol. She did a fantastic job on chapters four through eight, because the first, as you said, the first part of the book was in I, and the second part was in, it's kind of in we, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, yeah. It was really a great, uh, you can tell by the way the book is written, the transparency that's in the book. Uh, it is is really just wonderful. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your wisdom and knowledge with our listeners. Thank you so much, Greg. It was really great talking to you again.